In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the dangers of modern Christianity is the caricature that is sometimes made or drawn of Jesus. There are images and pictures of Jesus that we love, and some that make us uncomfortable, or that we might even choose to ignore outright. We hold up the image of Jesus preaching to people about love and how to treat your neighbor, but we sometimes shy away from Jesus telling us that if we sin, we should amputate the offending limb or pull out our eye. We are comfortable and we enjoy the image of Jesus holding and blessing little children, but we don't really want to talk about the angry Jesus who drives the money changers out of the temple precincts. We sigh with great relief of the image of Jesus carrying the lambs in his arms, though we are sometimes a little less ready to see Jesus as the Paschal Lamb who suffered and died on the cross for the sins of the world. And that is where Lent calls us to focus on the uncomfortable nature that Jesus sometimes brings to us, sets in front of us, and invites us to examine. Sin for one, mortality for another. And many times, this is where some of the hard questions that need to be asked occurs. But when the answer is given, we really don't want a milk toast answer that simply appeases the taste buds, but rather an answer that fills the appetites of our souls. And this is what we find in today's gospel reading. People coming to Jesus with questions and wanting answers. And Jesus, unlike many of us, tells the truth and tries to make sure that the crowd understands it as well by using the parable of the fig tree in the vineyard. So let us start with the question that is asked by some of the people in the crowd. From what we understand about Pontius Pilate, he was a rather merciless governor. He would provoke action from the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem and then butcher the people who stood up for their rights. He would then say he overreacted, perhaps, and offer some sort of peaceable gift or a festival, and then right after that would attempt to hoist the Roman standard inside the temple. And while we do not know for certain what incident Luke is describing here, from other historical records, we know that this is a rather commonplace thing for Pilate to do. What we think happened is some people from Galilee traveled to Jerusalem for a festival or to make a pilgrimage, were caught in some sort of revo revolt or uprising, and that they were slaughtered either in the temple or that their bodies were offered on the altar as some sort of sacrifice. Whatever it was, it was repugnant to the Jews. Now, when things like this happen, senseless violence, natural disasters, a fire that destroys a home or a business, sometimes we are tempted to ask the question, why did God allow this to happen? Or, 
Do you really think God is punishing New Orleans with that hurricane? Or, I wonder if God is punishing these people from some sin that they or their city is in. Farmers and ranchers have asked the question, sometimes made even little asides and jokes, that when it doesn't rain, we need to figure out who is making change in the offering plate. Sometimes, both when I was a layman, but especially now that I am clergy, I get asked questions like, do you think this world leader is a Christian? Because one of our initial reactions is always to ask who is to blame, or why is God punishing good people, or even why do bad things happen to good people? And while Jesus doesn't correct or fix the comment or the question, he does tell us where we need to put our true concern, where we need to be truly focused when asking these questions. The first thing Jesus says, and it is somewhat shocking at first, is that we really don't know and can't comprehend why things happen. At least we as humans can. Using a tragedy as if it is some sort of divine retribution is not the point at all. The point that Jesus is driving home is this, and it's a very fine line that we walk to. It's on the one hand, it's a call for your own self-examination, your own call to deal with repenting from sins and the way of death. And on the other hand, it is a call for us to always be looking at life with the knowledge that none of us knows exactly when we will die, nor how we will die. One of the stark realities of life that we all try to avoid is that death does look at us every day in some form. I don't know if all of you have been watching the Ukrainian situation, but imagine waking it up just a few weeks ago to bombs being dropped in your neighborhoods, much like Pearl Harbor or September 11th. I drive a lot, and yes, I am well aware that at any moment something could happen, and I could be killed. Some people receive tragic medical diagnoses. Others have accidents that are simply about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We all must prepare ourselves daily for death. And part of that preparation is to be in a state of repentance. Rabbi Eliezer once declared that everyone should repent the day before they die. But his disciples soon realized that since no one can anticipate when that would be, we should all live our lives in a state of repentance. So what does repentance mean? And how do we live into it? Well, the word for repentance means a turning or a changing. Sometimes it is seen as a way of changing your mind having a conversion of thought about what is true. 
Other times, it means something more like a retreat, a stopping dead in your tracks, turning around and fleeing from sin and virtuous actions. And in other ways, repentance and repenting means that not only have you changed your mind or that you have turned around, but there's also a sense of regret or contrition, not because we fear some sort of punishment, but because we truly are ashamed of our actions or we have seen that what we have done has hurt the people around us. And we really don't want to do that. Repentance and conversion play hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And conversion is not really what we think it is, like we are going to convert this person to Christianity, or even that I have converted from this religion to that. Conversion is the transformation of our souls. And the only person who can do that is the Holy Spirit. But we must be willing for that transformation to happen. And that is where the parable of the fig tree comes in. We, you and me, are the fig tree. We are the tree that has been in the vineyard, surrounded by grapevines and tended to. There is an agricultural benefit of having figs in vineyards, and so the presence of this tree is a welcomed event. But the owner has this longing to eat figs from the tree, and year after year, for all of the work done around the tree, all of the watering, all of the pruning, all of the care that has gone into it, it is in essence a worthless tree. It is not living into its full potential. Like we sometimes get with our friends or our trees in our yard or even the church, we say, enough already. I'm finished with that person. Yet, someone looks after that tree and has some sort of attachment to it. Maybe he saved it as a sapling. Perhaps it was a gift from someone. Whatever it is, there is hope within this person that the potential for fruit is there. And so with pleading, perhaps even with cap in hand, he says to the owner, let me give attention to this tree. Let me feed it the best food we can, and let me clean it up. I'll see to it personally, and maybe with just a little more love and care, this tree will produce fruit, maybe even good fruit. But if not, then I will take the axe to it. The vine grower, the one who is going to look after the tree, does many things for the fig tree. And that is where we use the word grace to explain what is happening. Grace is the time we have to amend our lives. Grace is the hope and love we receive from our friends. 
Grace is the healing that takes place in our lives. Grace is also the Holy Spirit working in us and on us. When you have that deep sense that your life must be brought into accordance with God's will, when the stupendous nature of God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord becomes a reality, not just in our heads, but also in our hearts, that is grace working its way through us. That, then, is where and when Choices that we make lie with us. Do we produce fruit? Become a tree that reaches its full potential with all the care that has been given to us? Or do we choose not to be fruitful, not to grow into our full potential as Christians and Christ followers? And that choice is what we call repentance or conversion, changing the way we act, think, say, or do things. What Jesus is saying is that our eyes should not be focused on how big or little of a sinner this person is next to us or down the road or across the world. Our focus needs to be on our own sins, our own wretchedness. The day will come when we will die. It is unavoidable. And to not take the time to repent from our sins, to amend our lives to God's dictates and holy laws, is to be one of our primary concerns as we try each day to be more Christ-like. The fig tree is us. Only we can decide whether or not to bear fruit worthy of our master's desire. But notice the tone of the owner of the vineyard. It isn't a tone of anger and retribution. Instead, it has a sense of regret, a sense that real loss is coming. In this part of Luke's gospel, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. He is on the road, inching closer each day. And we too are on the same road in our Lenten journey, headed to Palm Sunday and Holy Week. The early readers of Luke would have realized that what Luke is saying in the parable is that while the tree has already had three years to produce its fruit, just a little more time is being given. The hacking down of the tree is held off for another growing season. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There is still time to repent. There is still time to respond to God's call of repentance. But if they, if we, if this world doesn't respond, doesn't take to heart the call to repent, change, and amend our lives, 
then we too may be cut off. May we all take the time we have to amend our lives, to find true repentance in our hearts and minds, and bear fruit worthy of our own master in the time that we have left to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.